So Luke chapter 11, I'm going to read the first 13 verses. We're thinking especially tonight of verses 5 to 13, Jesus' teaching on prayer. It's page 1042 of the Pew Bibles. This is God's Word. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught His disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amen. We trust that God will bless to us His Word. Well, let's turn together to Luke chapter 11, page 1042 of the Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 11, we're going to look at these verses, particularly Luke 11, 5 to 13 together tonight. Let me tell you what we're going to try and do for this evening for, for a few moments just now. I want to inform you and remind you of a tremendous resource that God has given each of us as we live our lives, a tremendous resource that God has given each of us as we live our lives, and it is the resource of prayer. That's what we're thinking of, a resource that is ours, that if we are honest, we probably don't use and draw on as much as we should. And whenever I think about not using something to its full advantage, I do remember, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, <clears throat> a, a, a man that I used to, to visit in, in a previous uh, church situation, and a marvelous man called Len. And Len was older and really enjoyed music. He was interested in all sorts of music. And, and uh, I uh, remember going in to, to visit him, and he had all these little mixtapes that he had made. Now, some of you are younger, you won't realize this. You couldn't just uh, select music in a certain way. You had to make up a mixtape. And, and, and if he wanted to, to draw something from this album or that album or that album, he recorded them onto a cassette and, and had them in the order that he wanted to do that. And one day I went and rang his doorbell, <clears throat> and uh, 
There was a long gap, and, and Len came to the door after a certain time, looking a little bit flustered and just a tiny bit annoyed. And, and I went in to see him, and it turns out he'd bought this new hi-fi system. Now, you know, this is not like a, an iPod or on your phone or anything like that. This is something about the size of a fridge, okay? And, and uh, on the top, it had a, a five, or no, it had a turntable for vinyl records. You won't know what those are. And, and uh, then it had a, a, a five CD auto changer. Some of you might remember those. It had a tuner with all sorts of radio stations on it and, and a double cassette tape deck. However, Len couldn't work out how to record from the CDs or from the records onto the cassette deck. So, so he wanted to make some mixtapes. And what he was doing was he was playing these CDs at quite loud volume over here in this corner of the room. And over in this corner of the room, he had a little tiny cassette tape recorder, and he was recording what was coming out of the speakers onto this cassette deck. And that's how he was doing it. Until, of course, I rang the doorbell and everything just stopped at that point and he was a wee bit annoyed. But there he had this incredibly expensive piece of kit and yet he wasn't using it to its, its full potential. We're a bit like that with, with prayer, aren't we? We have this incredible resource. We, we know it's important. We sort of figured out that it's important, but we can't quite figure out how it works sometimes. And, and, and what we sometimes end up doing is we sort of partially give up on it, and we sort of go back to, to doing it the way that we've always done it and, and getting the results that we've always got. Prayer's hard, isn't it? Hard for all of us. I'm really encouraged to hear, and I read this this week, that, that John Stott uh, once said that prayer was his greatest area of struggle in his Christian life. John Stott was a, an immense spiritual giant of a man. Greatest struggle was prayer. And, and, and lots of us struggle with prayer. I'm sure all of us would like to be able to pray better. But lots of churches struggle with prayer too. We know that the church in the West is very under pressure. Many churches are in decline, and alongside that decline in terms of the numbers of people sitting in churches are, are, are those who are coming to prayer meetings. The practice of corporate prayer, praying together, is in decline. There are exceptions, of course, but, but uh, often churches find it pretty hard to get folk to come together to pray. Uh, the elders here were, were talking about prayer at our last meeting, and part of what we want to do in March, which is uh, from next Sunday, of course, uh, in March, is to, to make a bit of an effort through March to, to pray together and particularly to, as it were, target the, the Sunday evening prayer meeting. So we're going to do a little bit of a focus on that. And, and one of the things that we'd just love to say to you is, is have a go. Have a go at coming along at six o'clock, through in the room at the corner there, just through the door in James Street, and we're going to pray together for about 15 minutes before the service. Pray for this service. Pray for people. Pray for the work of God within this town. Some of the things that are happening within the world might be a small, quiet point for you just to, in your own heart, pray for some of those things that burden you. Give that a go. Come along. I, I remember very clearly being a fairly new Christian, and somebody coming along to me and saying, do you know, you should come to the prayer meeting before the evening service. And I have to say, it had never entered my head that that was something that I could do. And I went, and it was a blessing to my heart. So, consider that an invitation to, to all of us tonight, 
to drop into that prayer meeting without any expectation that you'll be there forevermore, uh, but come along and try that out. We'd love to have an increased burden within our congregation to pray together. You, you might know the name of Charles Spurgeon. He was considered to be one of the greatest preachers probably ever, but certainly of the, the 19th century, and, and he preached in the, the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in, in England, and he would bring visitors into the, the basement prayer room, and people were always on the knees in prayer. So, he was preaching, and there, were, there was a team of people praying as he was doing this. Billy Graham was the same, you know, people praying as Billy Graham was preaching. And Spurgeon called this room the powerhouse of the church. He said, if the engine room, he said, is out of action, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. We cannot expect blessing if we do not ask. Isn't that good? We cannot expect blessing if we do not ask. James said to his readers, you do not have because you do not ask. We, we can't think that we are the exception to that, either individually within our lives or together as a church family. So, alongside that little focus on prayer, we want to take a bit of time on some of these Sunday nights to think a little bit about prayer, and especially to think about the God to whom we pray, okay? Just telling ourselves that we need to pray more, that probably won't produce lasting change. We need to let God's Word speak to us and to tell us how much that He has given us in this gift of prayer. We need to think about what He is like. We've quoted Tozer before. Tozer said, uh, what comes into a person's mind whenever they think about God is the most important thing about them. And what comes into a person's mind when they think about God really also shapes how we pray. It shapes whether we pray or not. It shapes whether we come with expectancy or not. So, what comes into our mind when we think about God as far as prayer is concerned? Well, what we want to do is let God's Word help us with that, and tonight we're going to think about these verses from Luke chapter 11. And what I hope we're going to see is that <clears throat> God is a generous Father who delights to answer His children's prayers. That, that's, that's where we're going tonight. God is a generous Father who delights to answer His children's prayers. And so, we can come to Him boldly and persistently, and we can come to Him with confidence and in trust. So, so what happens in this story? Well, we, we find that Jesus has been praying Himself. That was His custom. That was His habit. Luke is particularly keen to point that out to us. It might raise some questions for us as to why the, the Son of God, Jesus the Son of God, needs to pray. Uh, some people have suggested, well, you know, He didn't really need to pray. He was he was just sort of hovering an inch off the ground, as it were, as the Son of God walking through this life. And, and He was really only praying to, to demonstrate to His disciples what they should do. He didn't need to do it, just for them. But, but that's not true. Jonty helped us with that last Sunday night, if you were here, remember? Jesus has two natures, His divine nature and His human nature, fully man as well as being fully God. And as man, He needed to depend on His heavenly Father, as we do. And he did this in prayer. So, one writer says this, a robust, reverential, dependent prayer life was suitable and necessary for Jesus giving the various trials and distresses He faced as the suffering servant. Necessary for Jesus. And the disciples saw this. They, they figured out 
the relationship between his incredible life and his secret prayer life, as it were. And they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds in two ways. He, he, he responds by teaching them how to pray, and that's the Lord's Prayer. We look at that sometime again. But he also motivates them to pray. He shows them that they might pray as he tells them what God is like. And it's that encouragement to pray that we're looking at tonight. So, so, so here's, here's the first thing. Those are very simple sort of points to navigate us through these things tonight. There's the first thing. God wants to help you pray. That's, that's a simple, simple thing. But maybe we've never quite thought, I don't think I've thought of it like that before. God wants to help you pray. What, what happens when these disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray? Does Jesus say to them, well, do you know what, guys? Prayer's really complicated. At sort of level two stuff, you're really at level one. We'll push that down the road a little bit. Not at all. He does exactly what they ask. He teaches them to pray and more. He motivates them to pray. You see, the Lord wants to help you pray and me pray. So here is a request that we know He is keen to answer. If you come to the Lord and say, Lord, do you know what? I know that prayer is important. And I know that my prayer life isn't that great. Lord, will you teach me? Will you help me to pray? You will find an open door with the Lord. He will help you make progress in prayer. Maybe part of the way he'll do that is by these Sunday nights. We, we would praise God for that, wouldn't we? Well, let's look at what happens. In verses 5 to 8, he tells them a story in order to help them think about prayer. Here's the scenario. A man's friend arrives late at night to his house. You know how it was in those days. You couldn't ring ahead and let uh, somebody know that you were coming. He couldn't text and say that he was going to be late. He just turns up. And of course, whenever you did that in the ancient world, there were all sorts of uh, <clears throat> social conventions that would have come to play at that point. You would have got out a basin of water and you'd have uh, said, look, you're really dusty from the journey. Great to see you. You're really dusty from the journey. Here, w wash your feet. Uh, and you'd have maybe got some oil and said, look, you realize that the sun's really got to your face there. Here, rub on some oil as we, as we pour some oil on your head. And then you'd have, you'd have said, you're hungry, aren't you? Let's get some food. And you can just imagine the scene that the, the guy is saying, oh, you're hungry, aren't you? And, and the wife is standing behind going, no, 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 there's no, no, nothing here. Well, bread was baked freshly or bought at the market. There's no freezer to raid. You can't nip down to Tesco's. Even the 24-hour markets hadn't got here by this stage. And so there was just no way to get bread. However, this man knows that his neighbor, his, his friend actually, his another friend, has some bread. Maybe he saw him taking in loads of loaves just out of the back of his donkey a wee while ago. And so he goes round, knocks on the door. Now, it's midnight. The Bible tells us it's midnight. Now, some of you won't be in bed tonight till maybe one o'clock because you'll be watching TV. You didn't do that in those days. You went to bed when the sun went down. 
So you went to bed at, you know, seven. You had to be up for dawn the next morning, five or six. And so middle of the night, uh, midnight, is really the middle of the night. You're, you're in your deepest sleep. It's like hour two or three or something like that. So he, he knocks this neighbor up, and, and, and you can just imagine there's the voice, you know, what, what on earth do you want? Have you, have you seen what time it is? And, and uh, the, 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 all the excuses come back. You know, the, the, the kids are, are sleeping. You see, in those days, it's simple house, a poorish family, one-room house, area for cooking over here, maybe a platform over here, and everybody just slept on the platform. So you got everybody quiet, including little Millie, who was a bad sleeper. You didn't move. You just lay there. And uh, therefore, if the man was going to get up and start rummaging around for his loaves, everybody was going to be up. And the neighbors were going to hear. It was going to be a whole shamble. So you see the excuses. The door is shut. The kids are with me in bed. It's just, it's just not happening. But he keeps asking, it seems, because he knows this is the only hope. And eventually, the guy caves in. And he says, oh, all right then. And here's your bread. Now, why does he get it? The Bible's really clear. It's not because of the friendship. It's because of this man's boldness, his impudence, his, his shamelessness. This is one of those words that only occurs once in the New Testament, and it's a wee bit difficult to translate. There's not really a, an equivalent. It's all of those things. It's sort of boldness, uh, impropriety, you know, shamelessness, all of those things. Here's the point. God wants us to pray confidently because we could, we could get this wrong. Jesus is teaching the disciples about prayer by telling that story, and we could get the wrong end of the stick. We, we might think, okay, this is telling me about God and my prayers. So am I to understand that, that do you know what, God's sort of tucked up he doesn't really want to get up and answer my prayers. It's not convenient for him, but if I just pester him enough and make enough of a nuisance of myself, I'll wear him down, and he'll get fed up, and he'll give me what I want. Is that what we think? That's not it at all. Jesus is sort of using it as a contrast. He's saying, if this is the case, how much more is it the case with God. So, in other words, if you can turn, Jesus is saying, if you can turn to your earthly friends in times of need, and they will eventually come through to you, for you, how much more will you be able to count on your heavenly Father, who really loves you, who, who never, as Psalm 121 says, who never slumbers nor sleeps. God's not tucked up. He's always awake when you call on Him. You see, this is meant to say, you really can come to God. You can ask Him. You can come boldly. You can ask again and again and again. Is that how you think of God? I have to confess, it's sometimes not how I think of God. That's why I've got to let the Bible speak to us. Now, we need to be a little bit careful sometimes as we analyze the details of these parables. You can overanalyze parables in some cases, but it's helpful to, to notice that there are three things that, that drive this man's persistence in asking, his boldness. First of all, there's a situation of real need. He's got all sorts of expectations with this friend who's arrived. He can't let him down. 
Shang, he really is helpless. He has nowhere else to go. He has no other options. You see in verse 6, he says, I have nothing. And then thirdly, he has a confidence that his other friend can really meet this need, that he has the bread, that he has the resources that can make a difference. So that's what drives all of this. Need, personal helplessness, confidence in the one being asked. And those things underline prayer for us today. And it's the lack of these things that perhaps makes our prayers lackluster and apathetic. You think about it. A sense of our need, a sense of the need of those around us, those for whom we pray. By and large, the church in the West has lost a sense of the great need of those around us and of ourselves. We do not feel the burden of the lostness of the lost. Let me say that again. We do not feel the burden of the lostness of the lost as we should. The realities of judgment have been so played down that they no longer press in upon our minds and hearts. You worried for your friends? You worried for their future? You worried for your family members? For what are you worried? Surely, the burden of that for which we should be worried is the fact that they will one day stand before a holy God, and perhaps as yet they are unprepared to do that. So, so that feeling comes to us that faith would be nice for them. It would be lovely to have them with us in church. But it doesn't seem to be essential. And then alongside that, our need for ourselves, for, for our own holiness, our own growth, doesn't seem to be that pressing. We just sort of feel as if we can get by, don't we? That, that this is enough. So we rarely pray today things like Robert Murray McShane prayed, Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. You ever prayed that? Because you know that the very best thing you can be in your life is more like Jesus. Or as he prayed, Lord, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. You see, we don't feel our, our need to, to turn away from sin and to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we've, we've watered down our sense of need. We've watered down our sense of helplessness. I have nothing, this man says. And, and that goes against our grain, doesn't it? Many of us have had decades of living in a culture that tells us we have limitless resources, that, that we have incredible strength within ourselves, that we can do anything that we want and be anyone we want to be, and yet, some of the old writers on prayer said that real prayer begins with an admission of our absolute helplessness. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And prayer, you see, takes that as its starting point. It's us coming to God saying, Lord, I'm empty. I've got nothing in the freezer. I've got nothing to draw upon. But you've got loads. Helplessness confidence in God. Well, again, that's been undermined in the Western church, hasn't it? The God that 
if this society accepts him at all, the God that there is out there is weak and anxious and impotent. Hardly worth asking for anything because it doesn't look as if there's much he could give you. Or maybe a little bit uncaring, so we're not really sure if he'd be interested in us. But we need to let the God of the Bible speak to us. I was reading some verses from Psalm 119 earlier this week. This is what it says around verses 90 or so. It says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all the generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day. And then this, for all things serve you. Isn't that incredible? Talking to God, all things serve you. That sounds like a God that we can have confidence in, doesn't it? Psalm 119, verse 68, a little bit earlier. You are good, and what you do is good. That sounds like a God we can trust. You see, Jesus tells us this story to acknowledge our starting point. We live lives of great need. We live amongst people of great need. We are helpless to change to affect change, but God is able. He has the resources that we need. He is limitless in what He can provide, and He is willing. He is not like your best friend who, even though they are your best friend, you can catch at a time when it's not convenient for them. You can never do that with God. You will always have His attention when you turn to Him. And so, Jesus goes on. What are the conclusions of this? Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. You seek. He's not like the guy tucked up in bed with his children. You maybe know that these verses, ask and seek and knock, they're in a tense so as to communicate Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In other words, don't give up. Don't, don't think you're going to pester God. He loves to hear your voice. Don't think he'll get fed up. Come to him and ask. And there's also an increasing intensity here. Ask and then ramp it up. Seek, ramp it up again. Knock. We're starting to get desperate, you see, Lord. We really, really need this. But we're also bold like this chap who just keeps on asking. We're to ask boldly. And, and, and Jesus, you see, is telling us, go to God boldly. Keep on asking and seeking and knocking. Make your case known to Him. Tell Him what you're after. So, if you come to God and you say, oh, Lord, you know, I know I shouldn't really bother you. You're busy. We've not been listening to what God says. Jesus says, ask and seek and knock, and keep on. Because look what He promises, verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. God wants you to pray confidently. Oh, I wish I could believe that all the time. I wish you could believe that all the time. Let's allow God to convince us of this. 
last thing, just in a word. God wants you to pray and to trust Him as you do so. Sometimes, you see, the answer might not be to our liking whenever we pray. It might be delayed, but we can trust that God will hear us. And also, sometimes the answer might not be what we expect, but we can trust God. This is what this is saying. Uh, you see, Jesus does that with another illustration. He imagines, imagines a son asking his father for a fish or an egg. Now, I've never been asked for a fish or an egg, but maybe in those days that was pretty common, more likely a Big Mac or a McFlurry. But, but the father uh, said, here you go, here's your McFlurry. Actually, it's a scorpion uh, or it's a snake. Now, of course not. You know, that just doesn't happen. Uh, it's recognizing that, that even though human fathers are far from perfect, and you see Jesus just assumes in verse 13 that though you're evil, if you then, though you're evil, doesn't apologize for that. He just says, you know, we know that, you're, that there's evil outside. You don't need to be told that, that uh, what happens with Save the Children or, or uh, Oxfam workers, that, that that implies that there's evil out in the world. And you know that if you know your own heart that there's evil in there too. So though you are evil you're able to give good gifts to your children. How much more the perfect God? How much more does He delight to bless His children and to give them what they really need? We can trust God, you see, to answer our prayers in ways that are good. And you notice here He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Now, now of course, we get the Holy Spirit whenever we become Christians. He comes and takes up residence in our lives, but we still need Him. We still need His power and influence to grow within our lives. The Christian life is a supernatural life, and we need the supernatural Spirit of God to equip us. And God says He'll gladly give Him to us. Now, the flip side of that is that if we were to ask for a snake, God would say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what you need. You need a fish. Some of us know the name of Jim Packer, a really, really significant author, still living an old, old man, one of the most influential Christian teachers and writers of the last hundred years, one of the classic books that, that uh, for uh, generations of, of Christians grew up reading was Knowing God. Many of you will have read it. When, when Packer was a young boy, he desperately wanted a bike for Christmas, and he did all those young boy things. He dropped all the hints until his mother and father were in absolutely no doubt that young Jim, young J.I., he wanted a bike for Christmas. Down the stairs he comes on Christmas morning, opens the door. What's sitting there under the tree? A typewriter. Now, I'd have been really miffed. But his parents figured out that he was a bit awkward and uncoordinated, and that he would erect himself on a bike, and he probably would have done himself lasting damage. And so, he was really good with words, and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get him a typewriter. You know, he grew to love that typewriter. Jim Packer has written way over a hundred books. He's blessed the church. His parents knew what he really, really needed. You know, God knows what you really need. You can ask for a bike, but God might say, you really need a typewriter. One of the roles of parents is to say, I know this is what he wants, but this is what he needs. Now, we don't always get that right, but God always gets it right. And sometimes we ask for things, and God says, I know that you want that, but you need this. Gary Miller, my Katrina's brother-in-law, has written a super book on prayer. I'm working through it at the minute. 
And then he mentions his youngest daughter, who of course I know very well, and her ability to ambitiously ask for things, but also to accept his answers, especially his no's. And so he's, he quotes a conversation that will go something like this. Daddy, now she's like seven years old at this point. Daddy, can I have my own car? No. That's okay, Daddy. Daddy, can I have a pet Tasmanian devil? They live in Australia. Uh, no. No, that's okay, Daddy. Daddy, can I take all my sister's really precious things? No. Well, that's okay, Daddy. Do you see, she, she's ambitious, but she trusts in his wisdom for the answer. And Gary says, you know, this is the essence of asking as a little child, ambitious asking with total trust. We ask little and don't really trust. Ask big and trust big. God wants us to ask. Is this starting to help us a little bit as we think about prayer? What comes into your mind when you think about praying to God? Are you thinking of him as a God that you have to pester? As if he's reluctant to give you an answer? Listen to what Jesus says. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Listen to Jesus. And look to Jesus, look at him, as we saw him last week in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, not, yet not my will, but yours be done. What happened there? Jesus got the answer no, as it were. It was not the Father's will that the cup would pass from him. His prayer received a no so that you and I could be here tonight and be welcomed to the family. Look at him crying out on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? And not getting an answer. A closed heaven to the Lord Jesus. Not getting an answer so that you could be welcomed, so that you could pray and be told tonight, everyone who asks received, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Is a God like that? going to mess up your life? Of course not. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's pray. Lord, we know together that we have so much to learn about these things, so much to learn as individuals. We confess our prayerlessness and so much to learn as a congregation. We confess our prayerlessness. Help us, Lord, to learn what it means to call upon a generous heavenly Father who delights to give good things to His boys and girls. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.